Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. I'm going to get around to, at least my intention is, to address the inaugural address of President Joe Biden in the next program or so, but not in this one. President Joe Biden, a man whom I believe I will choose to affectionately refer to as Uncle Joe. You know, Uncle Joe, (laughs) Joseph Stalin, which was a pseudonym, but such a lovely man, you know, a mass murderer of extraordinary proportions in terms of the body count. But not to say that Joe Biden and Joe Stalin are similar in any way, shape, or form, other than, dare I say, that, that Joe Biden is socialist at the core. No, wait a minute. He's just a mainstream Democrat. The mainstream Democrat Party is socialist, contrary to what the leftist media continually educates us. But anyway, Joe, President Biden, Uncle Joe, in his inaugural address, he referred to unity, need for unity, national unity. His theme, one of his themes, one of his narratives was unity. In unity we trust. Unity will provide the path forward. Yes, well, again, I will address that address in time to come. Or at least that is my intention. But unity, this wonderful unity, which I referred to in the previous program, again, so reminiscent of the national unity and global Solidarity spoken of by World Health Organization Director General Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus. Yes, we need national unity and global solidarity. You know, this was the theme of Adolf Hitler. (laughs) You know, I mean... Oh, just amazing. Uh, Just extraordinary similarities. But what lies ahead? What is in the offing? Here we are at the end of January. Today, this is January 29th. So once we get to Monday, this is a Friday. Once we get to Monday, it will be February 1st. You know, according to the calendars, the fatally flawed calendars that we use. So we will be into February. Exciting. And then two weeks hence, Valentine's Day and so forth. But here we are at the end of January. So we are well into winter. And 
This is typically the deepest of the deep freeze months, followed by February, which, despite being a little shorter, tends to, in many cases, have actually heavier snowfall, but not be quite as intensely bitterly cold. But around the world, there is another type of a freeze, if you will. There has been a freeze in all of the free nations, a freeze on commerce, a freeze on Education, especially a freeze on gathering with family and loved ones, a freeze on attending church services. (laughs) Is this freeze going to thaw? Well, maybe give it another year or two or three or what have you. But what can we look forward to in the coming months, in the near future? In the springtime, what can we look forward to? Well, if by some chance, if by some extremely minor (laughs) chance, global solidarity and unity does not abound... What could be on the doorstep, figuratively speaking, comes spring? Now, there's no hard and fast rule saying or stating that war cannot come during the winter. No. But historically, historically speaking, springtime was the time for armies to go forth. Springtime. Why? Why springtime? Well, the weather was more conducive for making war. Not just making love, but making war. In the springtime, a young man's you know, fancies turned to, to love and what have you, romance. Well, why not during the winter? You know, right? Makes sense to me that should be the case during the winter. But springtime. Going to war. Well, armies, which it has been opined, and I'm paraphrasing badly, that they travel on their stomach. No, not slinking along like serpents in the dust, but rather that they need to have provisions moving along with them. And we see that throughout history, that that has proven to be true. Unless, of course, they can manage to ravage, steal, commandeer everything they need from the civilian populace. But traditionally, militaries have gone to war. Kings have decided this is a wonderful time to go to war. They have their armies of foot soldiers that would have tougher going during the winter. They have their cavalries and or chariots and what have you. 
that, again, can make progress typically more readily during the spring than during the winter. However, if springtime is a slog through mud, through deep mud, torrential rain, and so forth, that can certainly impede the advance of these armies. But lo and behold, communist China, most favored nation, communist China, has been building up to, working up to, launching the most massive amphibious invasion of all time against Taiwan, free China. They've been building up to it. And lo and behold, there are two times of the year, two brief windows of opportunity that are most conducive to doing that. And one is during the spring, chiefly during April, and then flowing somewhat into May, and the other being October. Well, October is past, and of course, you know, it's helpful to have a change of the guard, a change in the presidency here. Now, I'm not by any means stating unequivocally that communist China is going to attack and attempt to invade Taiwan this April. I'm not stating that as fact. Rather, I think it is actually more likely that the communist Chinese regime will attempt to elicit additional concessions from the Joe Biden administration prior to that. You know, to remain on a good footing with Uncle Joe and Kamala, or Kamala, Camelot, before annexing Taiwan, to use the term that, you know, Vladimir Putin used with regard to invading, destroying a portion of Ukraine, but annexing, yes, giving freedom to Crimea, but liberating it. So I think it is entirely likely, not only possible, but probable, that the communist Chinese regime of Xi Jinping et al., that they will schmooze Uncle Joe Biden and Al, his administration, and attempt to elicit concessions, ever so many concessions from the Biden administration prior to attacking, invading, and destroying so much of Taiwan and so many Taiwanese people. So I think it is entirely reasonable and to be expected that communist China will hold off until next October, October 2021, according to our flawed calendars. 
I think that is more likely. I think that is the wiser route, the more prudent path forward. Yes, to parrot unity, national unity, international unity, and what have you. Because (laughs) I think it is highly probable that the communist Chinese regime, that the totalitarian fascist Russian regime of Vladimir Putin and so forth, that they view Uncle Joe President Biden as being malleable, manipulative, whatever word that would be, able to be manipulated. Even as, in fact, they viewed Donald Trump. Gasp! Yes! They viewed the Donald as being able to be manipulated, being able to be schmoozed, being able to be charmed, you know, with charm offenses. (laughs) As, of course, Kim Jong-un proved. But I do believe they view Biden in a similar light. For those who think that they had some special, that Putin company had some special affinity for the Donald, (laughs) I think they view Joe Biden every bit as favorably. And I don't believe that they viewed Hillary Rodham Clinton as being problematic either. But... despite what the experts, so many experts, think to the contrary. However, if I am mistaken about whether communist China will hold off on attacking Taiwan, then we will see President Joe Biden given the opportunity to demonstrate his forceful, visionary, courageous leadership this spring. What would the United States of America do? Really? What would the U.S. do if the U.S. wanted to take action. What would the president do, do you imagine? Would the United States of America send bombers? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Don't think they would risk that. Communist China has more nuclear bombs now than the United States of America, courtesy of Barack Hussein Obama's (laughs) policies, and actions during the eight years in which President Joe served ever so faithfully as his VP. No, I don't think so. And then, of course, you exacerbate that with the extremely close, tight, 
ties between communist China and totalitarian Russia, between Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin. And then, of course, the supposed wild card that really is the lapdog of communist China, that being North Korea. But what would the U.S. do? Well, they might. The Biden administration, the Kamala Harris administration, might send U.S. Navy down there just to, you know, flex muscle and show that we mean business. Maybe. But I can't really see this administration endangering U.S. Navy personnel by doing that. I just can't. (laughs) But I suspect that instead there would be a great deal of protestation from the White House from the bully pulpit itself, from the Oval Office, from the beautiful, splendorous Rose Garden. But, and perchance, from the Capitol itself, have an emergency session of Congress, and so forth. But a military response other than mere military presence, not a chance. Not a chance. Not an iota of a chance. But again, I said communist China has been building up to this, you know. For some time, going back to April of two years ago, China's concerted armed forces launched air and naval military drills in and around Taiwan. In the Taiwan Strait, cruising around Taiwan, and they threw everything in there. You know, the so-called People's Liberation Army. Yes, liberators. Their naval and air forces, ships, bombers, reconnaissance aircraft. Well, it was just training. It was just drills. And (laughs) spokesman for the Eastern Theater Command, Senior Colonel Zhang Chunhui, stated that it is conducive to maintaining peace and stability. 
peace and stability. That's what it was about, maintaining peace and stability by this massive, intimidating demonstration of military might. Massive military might against Taiwan. That was to maintain peace and stability from Taiwan. To keep Taiwan from attacking communist China. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. Oh, my. But. Meanwhile. Back to Xi Jinping's buddy and pal, Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin. Russian potentate. Vlad, going back further than that, five years prior to that, in very early spring, (laughs) winter spring, March of 2014, he held a rally, a splendiferous rally in Moscow, in support of Crimea joining Russia. (laughs) With Russia liberating Crimea from those terrible, loathsome Ukrainians. Ukraine, which was so monstrously, horrendously savaged by Uncle Joe Stalin, as was Georgia. But he held this rally in Moscow supporting Crimea joining Russia. (laughs) Joining Russia. He announced the annexation of Crimea. Yes, but what did the European Union do months and months and months later? The European Union leaders got tough with Vladimir Putin and they threatened to impose sanctions, more sanctions. Oh, wow, how tough can you get? I mean, that is pretty tough, don't you think? Really being tough on Vladimir. Threatened to impose more sanctions. Yes. Reminds me of a great man of yesteryear, Neville Chamberlain. Do you remember Neville? What a great leader he was. Wasn't he? Peace for our time. Yes. Peace for our time. Peace for any time. And every time. A great champion of peace. And when he shamefully, disgracefully, 
treacherously, cowardly, signed that Munich agreement. He stated that it meant peace for our time. (laughs) Oh, just, just precious. But that was Neville. And do you imagine that there are any leaders in the United States of America, and when I say leaders, I mean numero uno leader, as in president of the United States of America, but do you imagine there are any leaders in United States of America, Canada, Australia, Great Britain, Germany, France, Italy, what have you, that are of a different tenor from Neville. No. Now, the United States of America is, of course, still considered a superpower. A great superpower. And, of course, some would imagine that it is a soul-world superpower, which it never was. But then there are lesser powers among the so-called free nations. Still powers, nuclear-powered nations, nations with nuclear military Weapons. Britain, Great Britain, the United Kingdom, and France. Viva la France. But but they are not, I mean, all of them put together, they are not going to do anything more then protest whatever it is that communist China chooses to do. (laughs) And, of course, what communist China has been leading up to has been rehearsing for years is this massive attack and invasion of Taiwan using more than a million men and so forth. But massive weaponry and what have you. But while these powers, United States of America, Great Britain, France, while clearly they will do nothing with regard to Taiwan, Because after all, none of them even, do any of them have formal diplomatic relations with Taiwan? Or instead, do they just have friendly, informal relations? Ever since Richard Milhouse Nixon, that Republican hawk, clinked. Champagne flutes with bloody 
Mao Zedong, the greatest, and I use greatest in the most terrible sense of the word, the greatest mass murderer of all time, Mao Zedong. He eclipsed Uncle Joe Stalin, who eclipsed Adolf Hitler. But ever since, clinking champagne flutes with Mao, arranging this peace with honor, betrayal, of United States soldiers, prisoners of war, and Vietnamese people and allies. Ever since then, bloody red communist China, the most prolific slaughterer of people that the world has ever known became most favored nation, China, under the bloody leader in charge of all of that carnage. And whom the U.S. was fighting against in the Vietnam War, even as it had in the Korean War. But, Quaker, Republican hawk, Richard Milhouse Nixon, brought about that evil, that legacy. And Taiwan has never been an official ally since then. We betrayed, we turned our back on free China and cozied up to evil communist China. It's evil regime. Got in bed with evil communist China. Before I continue, let me say this. I'm Brad Thomas. And this is after all is said and done. And whatever is right and good and true in these programs is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Whatever is lacking, erring, deficient, unworthy is due to me. That is on me. That is my fault. So, what will transpire in Asia, that is really a foregone conclusion, a moot point. Taiwan is going to be on its own, which is not to say that it will go down to defeat the way that communist China intends. It's not to say that Taiwan 
will just be rolled over the way communist China intends. It is possible that there might be a providential deliverance not due to the United States of America, not due to Uncle Joe Biden, but rather due to God Almighty. That is possible. It would certainly rank as one of the, if not the, greatest wonders of all time. But but what if Vladimir Putin should move militarily against this nation, that nation, the other nation? He's going to. It's just a question of time. And a question of what transpires prior to his actually moving forward. Again, I think it is highly likely, probable, that Vladimir Putin and his regime will do everything they can to elicit concessions from the Biden-Kamala-Harris administration prior to that. But when it comes to military action by Vladimir Putin's Russian Federation, the question is going to be how far he wants to go, how far he wants to take it. Can you imagine? I mean, just, you know, just putting on the imagination hat. Can you imagine France and Britain launching a preemptive strike against Vladimir Putin's Russian regime? It is unimaginable, unthinkable. That's off the table. That's not happening. United States of America will not do anything of the kind, regardless what military intelligence they have. Irrespective of that. Regardless of all manner of stationing of troops and forward positioning and everything else. There's just no way. Positively not. But so then it comes down to how many fronts Vladimir Putin is going to choose to have. Because It's all along one frontal line, okay? It's not a matter of attacking to the west and attacking to the east and attacking to the south. No, no, no. It's all westward ho. Westward as in Finland to the northwest, Poland to the west, 
and all of these others. Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Belarus, which is, you know, buddies and pals, and on down the line. On down through Ukraine and on to Georgia. Taking the Black Sea entirely. Ukraine, Moldova, Romania. That's one direction to go, and that is the direction that Putin has already gone in taking Crimea from Ukraine. And again, this is historical, traditional, you could say, from the Russian regime, the former Soviet regime. It's number one enemies that it chose to create, to make enemies, and to destroy white Russians in Georgia and Ukraine. Georgia and Ukraine. Ukraine and Georgia. Which just happen to front on the Black Sea. But, of course, as does Sochi, where Winter Olympics was. But So that is the direction that Putin has already demonstrated he wants to go. But what about the great freeway to Europe, continental Europe, right through Poland, Poland and Germany, not through the comparatively mountainous areas, but instead the flatlands, the rolling hills through Poland, through Germany, sweeping down through Belgium and so forth, through France, taking the continent. It (laughs) is, on the one hand, an alternate path, an alternate choice. But I don't think it is. It need not be an alternate. It's not, there's no need for this to be either or. There's no reason on earth why Putin can't take it all. No reason at all. And so, <laughs> taking everything around the Black Sea, solidifying the entire area around the Black Sea, moving on to the Mediterranean, coming the other way, through Poland, Germany, France, what have you. There's no reason that Putin cannot engage in a blitzkrieg across Europe, throughout Europe. And meanwhile, he can just ignore lots of other places, ignore 
the Alps. <laughs> Leave the Alps, the mountainous regions, these little countries alone. Leave them alone. Don't bother with them. Right? There's no need to bother with them. Take the easiest, physically easiest territory. Now, what lies in the way? Well, you know, before former President Donald Trump, that loathsome individual, as he is viewed by the left, and if you have ever listened to any of my programs, you know my regard for Donald Trump has never been high. It has always, in fact, been low. But that's not to say that his administration didn't do any right things, any good things, any vastly preferable things to the things that were done prior to his administration and that are being done immediately subsequent to his administration. But Donald Trump, he chose, rightly so, to have troops moved from Germany. Moved to Poland and Italy, interestingly. Well, surely that was a bad move. You know, we should keep it maximum strength and force there in Germany. Well, (laughs) then that allows Putin to cruise through all of Poland and into Germany before meeting American troops. But the way it is now, there can be a flashpoint, not because of NATO agreements, not because these European nations are our allies and friends and Boozum buddies and all of that, because, of course, we're all so close. <laughs> right. uh, but because American troops are in danger. It creates a flashpoint. It pressures the new president and the president's boys and girls. To reach a decision about what to do. As compared to just allowing. Vladimir Putin's forces. To continue on to Deutschland. Deutschland über alles. <laughs> so it. By doing this, by moving these troops, reassigning them, this has the effect of limiting the advance that Putin's military can make prior to engaging the United States of America and forcing action from the U.S. president. 
But what kind of action would there be? Vladimir Putin's military would be attacking with conventional weaponry, conventional munitions. For the United States of America to attack with targeted, you know, very sophisticated, targeted weaponry to attack Putin's forces in Poland. Do you imagine for a moment that that will not endanger the Polish people? Of course it will. So, of course, I mean, the president could choose to, you know, attack in Russia. Do you imagine for one single solitary moment that a conventional arms response targeting anywhere in Russia will not be met immediately by nuclear all-out attack from Putin's military against the United States of America. There's no chance. That will be provocation (laughs) and then so. Even though it was instigated by Putin. If there is any conventional arms response in Russia. There will be instantaneous nuclear response from Russia with love to the United States of America. The only chance of that not taking place is for a military response to be confined to Europe, (laughs) to Poland. And even that is no guarantee that there will not be nuclear response from Russia. But again, you know, Vladimir, I mean, he may not, he may not choose to do that. He may just satisfy himself for the time being, content himself with taking all of the Black Sea including that, you know, budding Turkey and so forth, he may be satisfied with that for the time being. But once he has achieved that, just imagine that that won't go to his head (laughs) and will not egg him on to, you know, do more. And the fact of the matter is that if he chooses to invade Poland and from thence invade Germany. He can go on and take all (laughs) of, depends on what you want to refer to it as, Northern Europe, Western Europe, at which point Britain, Britain's weak (laughs) regime, just like France's weak regime, You know, they have decisions to make. Will France retaliate if Vladimir Putin's 
army is coming through Germany on its way to them. If it has already rolled over Poland and it is now coming through Germany, will France respond? Will Britain respond? And if they respond, are they going to limit themselves to conventional weapons or are they going to use the nuclear weapons they have? Knowing that Russia will respond, retaliate, whatever, with their nuclear arms, and they have vastly more nuclear weapons. Anyway, just all kinds of exciting possibilities. But all of these leaders, Boris Johnson, Uncle Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, and the various leaders of France, (laughs) such as Emmanuel Macron and so forth, but the various different leaders there in France. What is their response going to be? Again, forget about Taiwan. Taiwan is on its own. Taiwan needs to seek God. <laughs> but, and it is on its own. Against mammoth communist China. But what about what about a response to Vladimir Putin and his regime? Because Vladimir Putin has designs for glory, for greatness, as does Xi Jinping of Communist China. Of course, as does Kim (laughs) Jong-un of North Korea. And then, of course, there are the Islamist regimes that can also play a role. But exciting times lie ahead of us. Oh, but it's going to be international unity. Global solidarity, peace, and prosperity. Ironically, the one thing that will prevent the eventual aggression by the communist Chinese regime and by the Russian regime, the one thing that will prevent that, you've heard of Fire versus fire. (laughs) The one thing that will prevent that is not action by the United States of America or Britain or France. No, but incredibly is actually action by a socialist regime, which is a fascist regime, which is not even recognized as a regime yet. The coming regime. The soon coming ultimate regime. The only regime that will succeed in taking over the entire world. They can stop that because, by all rights, they should not want Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping 
to greatly increase their dominance. So it is possible that they can usurp that. (laughs) That they can preemptively act. It will be fascinating to see what, what comes about. But one thing is for sure. That when there is supposedly peace on the horizon, it is simply a precursor for world enslavement. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Thank you.